0: and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey everybody, Paul Gray here. Thanks for joining me again. Back in 1896, people only dreamed about flying flying you ever had dreams about flying? Boy, I used to, especially when I was a kid. I dreamed that I could fly. And then sort of like Peter Pan, I grew older and couldn't fly anymore. Well, back in 1896, there was a man named Samuel Pierpoint Langley, and he was endorsed by the United States government to figure out how to build an airplane, a flying machine. And he was the clear favorite to be the first to develop manned flight. He was a brilliant engineer. He had lots of degrees. He was the chair of a department at uh, Harvard. He had a full team who all graduated from Ivy League schools, and he had financial backing by both private investors and the government. The United States government, over 120 years ago, gave him $50,000 initially. Who knows how much money that would be worth today? And he had more than that from private investors. His desire, his stated desire, was to be the first and therefore the most famous person ever involved as far as flying was concerned. The New York Times followed him around and wrote and syndicated stories to other papers about their work. Langley and his team were well known in high society. Now, about the same time, there were a couple of brothers from a small town, Wilbur and Orville Wright. They owned a small bicycle sales and repair shop. Bicycling was a big means of transportation in those days. They dreamed about changing civilization for the better by making a machine that would fly. Neither of those brothers nor their small team of helpers had a college education. They used the small profits they made from their bike shop to build these machines that were essentially bicycles with wings on them and a motor. And they crashed over and over again. Nobody was there covering what they were doing. Nobody except, you know, the people in that town even knew about them, and they thought they were crazy. Langley's team spent all their time in offices and labs trying to figure out designs. And they did that in their desire to be first. The Wright brothers, like they did with the bicycles they worked on, spent their times hands-on out in the middle of a field (laughs) working with these contraptions trying to get them to fly, just like trying to learn how to ride a bike. Nobody followed them around. Nobody knew about them. Then on December 17, 1903, the Wright brothers' contraption flew. It took a couple of days for the nation to even find out about it as soon as he found out about the Wright brothers' success, Samuel Pierpoint Langley quit. He just quit. He didn't attempt to take their invention and improve it. He only wanted to be first and achieve the acclaim for that. His passion wasn't to help people fly to make the world a better place. It was to make a name for himself and a prophet, of course. Now, Each of those teams, the Wright brothers and Langley team, they each knew what they were trying to do. Each knew how they were going about what they did, but they each had a different motivation. Now, I want to show you a little diagram here. It's three concentric circles. The middle circle, for some reason, isn't showing up on this diagram. It shows up when I print it out, but here it is. Three concentric circles. Now, These are called the uh, golden circles in business teaching. The outside circle is what we do. Everybody in business and in other organizations know what we do, and we know how we do it. The big question is why do we do what we do? That's where the difference is. Today, I want to look at this, of course, from a spiritual standpoint, not a business standpoint. In my situation in Lawrence, Kansas, where we live with our group here, we're a church. We're legally a church, obviously a very non-traditional church. We're we're a community of like-minded, like-spirited believers, really. What we do is we proclaim the gospel the merry good news that fairly makes a person jump for joy, what Paul called the real gospel. What we do is communicate the real gospel. Now, we used to call what we did evangelism, and we mistakenly thought the reason most people weren't interested in our attempts at evangelism was because of how we did what we did. So we were always trying to try the latest thing, as were almost all evangelical churches. We took classes. We went to seminars. We we read books. We bought these different evangelism plans, evangelism explosion, different things like that. So we would try the latest thing. We tried things like servant evangelism. We did seeker services, which were you know, change from traditional church services to be informal with pop music and drama and no rituals and serving coffee in the sanctuary and stuff like that, sitting in chairs instead of pews. You know, we thought that would help our evangelism temps. Today, over 40,000 Protestant denominations with millions of churches worldwide have different ways of doing what they do. How we do it is by teaching by writing by making videos by doing podcast more importantly by our lifestyle by serving by loving people unconditionally that's how we do what we do now we know what we do and we know how we do it for me the real question is why why do we do what we do 12 years ago I would have answered that question much differently than I do today. I was an evangelical Christian, an evangelical pastor. I was a two-term president of our Lawrence Association of Evangelical Pastors and Churches. Why I did what I did in my mind, and my motives were pure, were to save people from going to hell and being tortured endlessly by an angry God who didn't even want to be around us to begin with and could ultimately only barely tolerate us because he saw us covered with the blood of Jesus. That's why I did what I did. The reason why we all did what we did was for the future of people, the next life, the hereafter. So we could get people to go to heaven instead of being tortured forever in hell. I wanted to get people to pray the magic prayer. Then, of course, they wouldn't have to go to hell. They'd come to heaven. But then I had some other ulterior motives, which, you know, I think my motives were fine, whatever. But my other motives were that they would come to my church, believe what I believed, support my ministry, and build my church. Yeah, maybe my motives weren't that fine. (laughs) Hopefully, they would get some benefit from that and change their ways and be better people. Yeah, I'm not so proud of all of that. That's what we did, and we thought that's why God wanted us to do it. Some good things came from all of that. It was all part of the journey. But today, we have a different why. Why we do what we do is because we want people to know and experience God right now, because that's what God created us for, and because the benefits right now are amazingly wonderful. God is about the now. He is the God of the now. He's taken care of the future for everybody. He's not concerned about that. And he doesn't want us to be concerned about that either. That's a (laughs) non-issue. He's concerned about the now. Now, this week with our group here in Lawrence, Kansas, I asked, and other people around the the country, around the world, really, that join with us via Zoom, I asked you all to send me descriptive words about how you describe being in the presence of God right here and right now. And I was... Greatly encouraged and pleased by the words that you sent. These descriptors of what it's like to be in the presence of God are really the the fruit. They're the results of why we do what we do. Why we do what we do can be described in these descriptive words that people sent me that describes their experience of being in the presence of God. And I want to thank the people who wrote me and shared what it's like for them to experience God. All right, this isn't theory. This is people's actual experience of the presence of God. Here's what people wrote me. Peaceful, contented, joyful, at rest, exuberant, loved, cared for, protected, complete, warm, calm, happy, calm joy, awestruck. Loved, blessed, amazed. One person wrote, Whenever I become aware of God's presence with me, I feel it physically like an electrical current running through my body or a warmth or a tremor that you can physically feel. And, of course, there are emotions, too. Sometimes it feels like being wrapped in warmth and light and comfort, like in a blanket. Someone else said, My words include Electricity, power, current, energy, warmth, comfort, enveloped, wrapped, hugged, held, calmed, peace, oasis, rightness, belonging, loved, joy, light, quickened, relief, rest, nothing between us, loving smiles, affectionate gaze, embrace, significance, adoration, God adores me. Someone else said, when I feel his presence, I feel an inner rest, peace, joy, and love and affirmation. There is no condemnation. I feel so at ease in his presence. It's very healing. I also feel very protected by Papa. Someone said, I experience a still, soft voice that whispers from within, and I also feel an impression on my heart that brings me peace, joy and causes me to feel love. Someone sent this. One time when someone prayed for me, when I was in a lot of pain, she put her hand on my back, and I felt the spirit leap within me, and it caused me to giggle. And then I heard the voice of God say, I am healing you right now. This is not a ritual. It's about relationship. The tone of Papa's voice to me is kindness, fatherly, and puts me at ease. I don't feel rushed, condemned, or fear with him. Another person wrote these descriptors. Sweet, good, euphoric, fragrant, love, light, good, tenacious solidarity, comfortable, easy, light, no pressure, wholeness, no lack, safe, beautiful, pure, awash in grace, protected, liked, accepted, assured, passion, Relaxing. Trust. Included. Valued. Appreciated. Pleasure. Boundless. Immersed. Union. Oneness. Effortless. Comfort and understanding. Here's just a few more that people wrote. Focused intention. God's intention focused on them. Bliss. Joy. Peace. Gentleness. At home. Patience. Companionship. Friendship. Lavishness. Eager to bless. Bless family, togetherness, celebration, confidence, refuge. A few more. No conditions, no worries, no pressure, no judgment, no disappointment, no worries, no expectations, no evil, no darkness, no holding back, no wrath, no punishment, no darkness. (laughs) Amazing words. I, I mean, I get Jesus bumps. Used to call them goosebumps. I get Jesus bumps just hearing those words. Now, think about this. I don't believe experiencing this kind of presence to this depth is possible if you are afraid of God. You can experience it to some extent, but not to this kind of depth if you're afraid of God, if you're afraid of punishment, if you're worried that, God might turn on you. If you're concerned about what will happen if you have an impure thought, or if you're not completely honest with somebody, or if you cut a corner here or there, uh, if you had too much to drink last night, if you think God is keeping a record of your wrongs, see, if you believe that, well, Jesus is good, and he loves me, and he went to the cross for me, but... I know he's coming back one day on a white horse with the sword in his mouth, and the blood of the people that he murders is going to come up and almost cover the horse up, and it's going to be millions and millions of people. If you have that kind of concept of God, if you believe there's an unforgivable sin that you might commit that will send you to hell, but you don't even know what that sin is, if you think you have to perform to gain or maintain God's favor— and be in his presence. But you don't know if you can ever really meet his standards. You're never going to really experience God's presence as we've been describing today because you'll always be wondering when the other shoe's going to drop. You won't be able to relax. You won't be free to be yourself. You'll be bound up. That's actually what the original word religare in Latin means, bound up. King David wrote in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. He is grace good. Sometimes people say to me, well, Paul, you talk like you know God personally and you hear from God and God talks to you and you say God is good, but I don't hear from God. God doesn't talk to me. I I don't actually think God is all that good. He might be good to you, but he's certainly not good to me or to other people. Well, I've come to see that the reason people say that can be, and very often it is, because they don't want to experience the presence of the God they believe in. Because the God they believe in is not good. (laughs) Most people still believe in Adam's dark, punitive, fictitious, religious God. Certainly most religious people believe in that fictitious God. And in that system, going back to the Old Testament, there was an elite group of priests. And, uh, well, this was in the Old Testament and it was in Jesus' day too because Jesus came under the Old Covenant. There was an elite group of priests, and every year one of them was chosen to go into the Holy of Holies. That was the inner room, the inner space in the temple in Jerusalem where God supposedly lived. He wasn't anywhere else. He was just in there, but he could see and hear everything you were doing everywhere else. One person in that group of people was chosen by lot to go once a year to offer sacrifices to that angry God for the whole nation. The other priest on that one day a year would take the lucky guy who was chosen and tie a rope around his waist in case when the guy got in there and God didn't approve of the guy or the sacrifice and struck the guy dead, they'd have this rope around him to pull him back out (laughs) so they could give him a proper burial. They didn't want to be in the presence of their version of God. The whole nation one time told Moses, you go meet with God. I mean, we're afraid of him. Just find out what he wants. Tell us what to do and we'll do it. We don't want to be in the presence of that scary God. That's what they said. When Peter first realized that Jesus came from God, he didn't yet know he was God, the Son of God, but he realized he came from God. He said, oh, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He didn't want to be in the presence of God or anybody who came from God because he was afraid of what that God would do. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Don't be afraid. God's not like that. And then Jesus demonstrated how good God is for three and a half years. He is grace good. Then even after Peter denied Jesus three times publicly in the time of Jesus' greatest need, Jesus assured people that he still loved him and chose him to lead the first church. That's called being grace good. Jesus told the religious leaders, the teachers of the law, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, he says, not a single one of you knows God the Father, or me. Not a single one. If you did, you would love us. Jesus showed us that God is love, and God is light with no darkness, and God is grace, grace good. My friend Steve McVeigh posted this recently. He said, grace stands with us when we make foolish choices that lead us to painful setbacks, Grace will gently pick us up and help us move forward again. Grace never disqualifies us, never gives up on us, never decides that we've gone too far for redemption and restoration. Grace is a counselor, a teacher, a friend, and an ever-present companion. Grace, bigger than your worst mistakes. Grace, stronger than your most debilitating weakness. Grace, relentless, stubborn, determined, committed. Steve says, grace will walk with you on the smooth roads and the bumpy roads. Grace will win because love never fails. That is your hope. That is your assurance. And he finishes, that is the grace walk experience. And I agree. God is good all the time. God is grace good. We need never fear God. That's the God I know experientially. That's the God whom I enjoy being in the presence of, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, when you know by experience, continued experience, that being with God is like all of these descriptive words, you are compelled by Christ's love to tell other people what God is really like. But until you know the only true God and experience that wonderful presence with them, all you think you have to offer is telling people about an angry, punitive, dark God who they're not right with and who is going to punish them forever in eternal conscious torment unless they get it right. And they really should fear that God even before they get it right and not want to be around that God. And maybe, maybe that's why... People aren't very responsive. Maybe. Ah, The reason why we do what we do in our instance, and I'm not saying we're any better than anybody else. This is just where we are on our journey. We know what we do. We know how we do it. And we're learning that the reason why we do what we do is so that other people, all people can experience the presence of the only true God right now. It's like the Wright brothers. They wanted to come up with a way to fly so people could soar, so they could benefit the whole world, so that people could take flight. And that's why we do what we do. We want people to know that they can soar with God. They can take flight with God for their benefit. That's the greatest present of all, presence of God. and That's also the only way society will ever change for the better, isn't it? It'll change for the better as we all come to know and continually experience the exhilarating presence of the grace of God, the good grace God, the grace good God. I get excited just talking about him. Hey, everybody, thank you all so much for listening. If you'd like to learn some more about this God and how to hear from him and uh, his presence, go to my website, www.gracewithpaulgray.com, gracewithpaulgray.com, and you can look at the videos there and the posts and different things, and also there's something that says eight-week course. That's my course, Pure Light Walker, and check that out. This is something that we've put together to help people online, but there's also online real-time interaction between me and the people who take the course and between the group as a whole. Check that out. We'd love to have you join us with that. So thanks again for being with us. Uh, Until next time, grow in grace. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.